0: You know why leaders love data? Because it's not their decision. Because it's just, well, the data.
1: What are you going to (laughs) do? It makes it easier for everyone involved.
0: It's so good. Richard. Yes, Paul.
2: How are you doing? I'm doing well, well, man. I just, I'm in sweatpants. I've got... I've got a
0: lot of sweatpants, so I'm in sweatpants. Wasn't looking for that, but I got it, so Here we am work with it. Okay. So listen, you ever put like a website out in the world or put a product out, like maybe in the app store? Ever had that? Ever done that?
2: I have. To okay. varying levels of success,
0: to be frank. What is <laughs> extremely varying, right? Like, it's, <laughs> What a world. So after it launches, yep. okay, now what? How do you know? Okay, oh, we got it. We got it. We figured it out. We figured it out. We're going to get some users. What now, man? What how do you know what happens next? You know, depending on when the, I've been in
2: the business for 25 years and for a long time it was uh, one line of javascript for Google Analytics. That's all you had. And you just dropped that in there and I was right. You just or, or, that in yeah, there, like, it was crude. It didn't speak to success. Sometimes
0: you grow your own. Yeah. Sometimes you grow how many
2: people it was coming to the site as if it's, you know, a blog. So
0: it wasn't great, well, you know. That's the thing. It used to just be real gross anatomy. Like, how many people looked at pages? That was what mattered in the world. Hits. How many they used to call unique them unique I don't users? Think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So look, you and I were talking, we talk about analytics. We talk about product all the time. And it turns out we have some very, very analytics-oriented people at Postlight. Interesting. Like who? Yes. Wacky coincidence Reed Whitmont is on the podcast with us today. He is in the product management group at PostSite. Reed, welcome to welcome, the Reed.
1: podcast. Hey there, thanks guys. Good to be here.
0: You know it's great. Reed has one of the voices like I do, where people are just like people when they when they read me, they want me to talk like this because I'm a big nerd. But then you know I'm like, well, you know, let's talk about product. Reed's got it too. So this has now become a cool jazz podcast. You,
1: you got to come in like
0: that. You just have to. Mm. There we go. Oh yeah, this is exciting. Let's talk about product. Yes, Richard, your voice. You're, you're like an animal compared to reading. I am an animal. Uh, can I share? A feeling that
2: I think many product managers feel. A lot of product management is the bobbing and weaving and ducking and jumping to get to the line. And then when you get to the line, you expect this moment of euphoria. And it is euphoric in that moment. But you know what's really depressing, Paul and Reed? Do you know what's really depressing? Day
0: three. Day three. Oh no, no! I, I've actually warned. It's hard too because you, you actually have to coach the clients. You have to tell them like, "Hey, post launch depression is a thing." But you know what? Before we go in there, read, tell us about what you do at Postlight. Tell us about your job. Tell us what you do all day, and then then we can before we drill all the way into analytics. <laughs> sure thing.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm on the product management team. I'm a senior product manager here at Postlight. So I do a whole wide variety of things for those listening and really just help product teams guide strategy and get to a place where ultimately things, beautiful things go live. That's a hyper reduction, but...
0: That's good. That's perfect. Help beautiful things go live. Why analytics? Turns out that you know a lot about analytics. Where does that come in?
1: Yeah. So honestly, in a previous life, I was much more on the marketing side of things. And I, I really started out in what would be called, but I don't like calling growth hacking, which which mm. has some it has some overtones that I, I don't I know. I no, I always
0: think of that whenever I yeah. hear that, I just think of a like a dermatologist, just hacking growths.
1: That's better, honestly. I I like that more. <laughs> but what I do really like about that background is it's very, very data heavy. And one of the things that I've really noticed as I've as I've transitioned more onto the product side is the extent to which data is there. I mean, it's in the room and there's, you know, there's, there's very few people in tech who you have to convince that being data driven is a good thing. Everybody knows, but the extent to which people are actually data literate and the extent to which I've worked on more accounts than I can count. And yet I think there's maybe one or two that have had good analytics setups. And so I've just, it's a language that's always spoken to me as someone who's not a data scientist, but it's a place where I've always seen It feels like somewhere that people are often very confused and overwhelmed. And to me, it's always been just fun and I I geek out on it. So it's a place that I've naturally just dived into more and more over the years.
0: Define good. Like what's a good analytic setup?
1: It's a great question because I think there both is and isn't a clear answer here. There is because a good analytic setup is one which tells you what you need to know. And what you need to know is... Is every visitor tracked? Are you able to see how every visitor is moving through the pipeline, through your funnel, where they're coming from? Are you able to segment them and look at them in cohorts and understand how different user behaviors signal different outcomes? Things like that. But at the same time, one of the biggest challenges I tend to see in analytics setups is people overcomplicating and being unclean with the way they set up their data so that the things coming back are just... There's a, a a very common but very accurate expression, garbage in, garbage out. And essentially, if you, to put that another way, it's very much a chicken and the egg situation in some ways for a lot of people, which is to say, you need to know in some ways what you want to learn when you're building your setup, but without that good setup, you won't get that information. So you have to really build these things holistically.
2: What's funny about features when it comes to these platforms these analytics platforms is, I call it the 747 dashboard. I mean, you drop them in and then all of a sudden it's a flood of not just data, not just raw data, but it's just a flood of like switches and filters. Some of them let you daisy chain the filters. So you're filtering this and then you'll mm-hmm. filter it again. And then once you got it to a good place, you can save it, right? Like, so a lot of the hard work, I feel like with a lot, that's what, I mean, there's an industry. Let's point this out. Like This isn't just something that's a corner of product management. There are experts. Postlight has hired experts in the past to help us decipher the data that's coming in. Sounds broken to me if I'm a product leader or a product marketer, Reed, and I want to get to a place where I can just peer in and make sense of what's going right and what's not. How do I navigate that? I feel like dashboards are really the counter argument for all that complexity. It's like, well, executives yeah. can't stare at walls and walls of stuff, right? We got to give them a dashboard, which, okay, fine. Take my hand here and walk me through. Yeah. Gather the requirements. How do I not and drown you- in this?
1: So I'd say if, if I were coming into a situation with someone else's analytics setup that I didn't build myself, which is generally the case and, mm-hmm. Quite frankly, with most long-term clients I've ever worked with, I've ended up rebuilding their analytics setup. So that's that's a side thing, but coming in and trying to find good data, I first need to validate does this analytic setup actually work? Like, am I going to get data from this that I can trust? So I'm going to check a few things. I'm going to check, is the implementation correct? Is this showing up on every page? Is every visitor, as far as I can tell, tracked? And there's numerous ways to check that. But generally speaking, is this catching everybody? And is it catching everybody correctly? So for example... One of the simplest errors that I see a lot is the tag, which is the actual bit of code that lives on a page that sends data to an analytics platform, firing or loading at the wrong time and actually creating a a user session that looks like something other than it is. So for example, there's a lot of analytics setups I've seen where you'll have a 0% bounce rate, which is the amount of people who come to a page and then immediately leave, and Actually, that's not true at all. It's just the tag is firing in a bad way and so the data is bad. So right off the bat, if I see something like that, I know, okay, there are parts of this data I can't trust. I want to check every single stage of my funnel and make sure that the data I'm seeing makes sense from what I understand, but also I want to run some tests on that to make sure is this data accurate?
2: How do you run those tests? Is there a tool you like yeah. to use? Or is it is it just like point and click and go check? Like, How are you validating?
1: So it depends on the scale and on the tool I'm using. But let's use Google Analytics as an example, because it's it's kind of the industry standard here, and honestly, I think the best. So with Google Analytics, I would do two things. Say I was auditing the Postlight Analytics setup. I would do a few things. I'd use a kind of test view. So I'd set up a view that only sees my IP address and I'd run through the funnel and make sure that my session is being tracked at every stage along the way. I would also submit some fake form submissions and make sure that those are coming through correctly. And then I'd also compare because very, 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 very few websites and products nowadays exist in isolation. So we have form submits, but those form submits are going somewhere else. So I'd check to make sure that the number of form submits and the timing on those form submits on our back end is the same as what's coming up in analytics. And there's a lot of ways just to, to kind of sense check this. And I'm I'm not even looking for exact, exact, exact same, though if I don't see that, I'm, I'm going to be concerned. But just making sure, hey, is this data showing me what it should be? And are my traffic sources where people are coming to the website from, are those all being properly labeled? There's a lot of places where people tend to make very simple mistakes that have very lasting consequences, like... When they're creating, for example, paid advertisements, you have to create something called a, a UTM, which is a, an urchin tracking mo- – I'm forgetting urchin what
0: th- – Urchin was the uh, – the progen- it came before Google mm-hmm. uh, Analytics. Wait, hold on. Let me pause because yeah, yeah. it sounds like Google Analytics is kind of the benchmark. Like when you're saying like, oh, you're going to need to make UTM, like that. that is the industry. Like is that still true? Like if I'm thinking analytics, am I just thinking GA or are there – other platforms that I'm I'm oriented around?
1: So there's tons and tons of platforms in this space. GA is my favorite for a number of reasons, but I've worked with, oh gosh, 10, 15, 20 different analytics platforms and all. All serve different use cases. GA is my favorite for web properties, but it's probably my least favorite for for mobile apps. And, And when we're talking about things like UTMs, all of these things, in terms of the way we're implementing tags, in terms of the way we're tracking things, these are relevant regardless of what thing you're using. For the most part, most of them function pretty similarly. It's just different ways of data visualizing. However, there are a number... Segment is a good example that do function in in some fundamentally different ways in terms of how they capture the data. But I always advise clients to steer towards Google Analytics because it's the most robust in terms of the amount of data it gives you. And also one of the – and there are people who are going to hear this who are going to very strongly disagree with me. But I think one of the simplest to implement because it's been around for so long and and the the documentation around it is really just so robust – and it just works. It just works very well.
0: So a lot of our listeners are PMs, but a lot of them are gonna be, you know, coming at this from various different angles. Talk about some of the things you can measure, right? Because it's yes, you can pages, IP addresses, unique users. I think like mm-hmm. people understand that. But now I can instrument just about anything. So like what are we measuring like objectively? What are those things?
1: It's a great question. Cause I I think honestly, one of the things I see most around analytic setups is People who implement or people who are responsible for reporting on metrics getting so excited about all of the data points they have and also kind of getting overwhelmed and really just not knowing where the story is. And and I always recommend taking a huge step back here and going back to basics. And what I mean by that is at the end of the day, the most important thing is what does your funnel look like? And where along the funnel do you have the largest opportunities for improvement? That's the single most important thing. And Surprisingly, that's a question that almost no business I've ever worked with have, has really been able to answer. They've had stories about, oh, you know, we've got a conversion problem. Oh, you know, we've got a traffic problem. But then when you look at the actual data, it's often a very different story.
2: Let's take 60 seconds and give people the 101 sure. on funnel. The idea of a funnel, I think, predates the web. I think funnel is a sales funnel. It's a marketing and sales term. I mean, originally,
0: originally, it's a V-shaped sort of cone thing that you would pour liquids or, or solids into in order to make them. Exactly. Yeah. But now, and this ties
2: into the term user journey and all that, but what is a funnel?
0: Yeah. So a funnel
1: and that plastic or glass or metal implement in the kitchen is actually a great thing to, to think about here because the idea is, At every stage of the user journey, so that's from a user having no idea that your product exists to a user being a dedicated long-term user and actually referring other customers, it gets a lot narrower. So you've got, say, 100 people in the world. That's the population of the world. And of those, maybe 50 know about your company because we're just knocking marketing out of the park. And of those 50, 25 come to the website. Of those 25 five of them click on the call to action button and create an account or whatever our our thing is of those five in a year, one of them is still there. And maybe of that one, well, I should have picked a larger sample size, but uh, yeah. the whole no, 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 idea going is going from a yeah.
0: really big number to almost always a really, especially in things like, like our, our work, right. Where we, we might talk to thousands of people a year and, 20 of them would become a client. It's going from large groups. And then as they go through the funnel, they have more and more of a relationship with you.
1: And the important thing here is when you're thinking about that funnel, if you actually can map that out and look at, okay, my acquisition rate is this. My conversion rate is this. My retention rate is this. Every stage of the funnel, if I can put a number to that, what i can do is then i can look up okay what's what's the industry benchmark for agencies converting on their websites what is the, the all of this stuff exists online and then i can see oh you know what i really thought that i was converting badly but actually i'm converting relatively well as to be expected i i could get a little delta there but actually there's a significantly larger opportunity at this other place in the funnel. Maybe it's getting people to add this certain amount of information, or maybe it's getting people to the page to begin with. And just that alone, it's it's such a simple thing, but the amount of businesses I've worked with who have been able to just show me their entire funnel from end to end with that data is almost none.
0: Reed, I'm, I'm gonna be our listeners for a second because here's what they're doing. I work at a company that has a big website and they talk about analytics by geography and they have some rough sense of personas mm-hmm. and the website has 200,000 pages. I like this guy. He seems to really know his stuff, but how am I going to convince, like, we're not really thinking funnel. Yeah, sure. We do some marketing and sure. But, but how am I going to convince? Cause this is a big job. I got to instrument all those pages. I got to add analytics to them. How am I going to convince someone that they should go and put that energy in when we're not quite sure exactly what we're going to get on the other side? It sounds like, cause what you're selling me is better decision-making on the other side, as opposed to like just instant revenue, which is what everybody really wants, right? So like make that case. Yeah, that's a great point.
1: And honestly, I, I over-index perhaps on the simplest stuff because that bedrock is so often not there. But where it gets really exciting and where it gets into, I don't want to say more immediate revenue impact because funnel analysis can give instantaneous revenue impact if you shift your resources around. But mm-hmm. where it gets really cool and and potentially easier to sell is once I have that funnel analysis, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go heavy on that funnel analysis, but once I have that, I can say, okay, let me look at my users, let me break this down into cohorts, because especially in Google Analytics, I can see user demographics, not necessarily at a personal identifiable information level, although depending on the setup, sometimes you can, but tracking and 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 data, personal data are two very different things. But I can see, okay, you know what? Here's my funnel. I know that I've got a conversion problem and that's that's where I'm going to make the most money. So let me look at who is converting and who's con- not. Huh, I can see that users between the age of 25 and 35 who live in this part of the country who have these affinity categories, which means that their online search behavior really lines up with certain products or services. Oh, I can see that those people are significantly my best converters, whereas this group of people is really hitting a problem at this stage. And with that information, and of course I'm I'm oversimplifying this here, but with that level of granular information, I can build customer personas that let me know, okay, I'm having a, beyond just knowing, okay, my customers are X, Y, and Z, I can actually know, wow, this customer, so say middle-aged people from the middle of the country, I'm just using the word middle a lot, we have really high interest from them. They come to the page a lot. They have a lot. They look at a lot of pages, but they're not converting. Well, that tells me very clearly that I've either got a product market fit problem here or more likely because they keep looking, I just have an education problem here, that there's some piece of information that they don't have that would make them feel comfortable with taking the next step. Because if they're if they're showing that level of engagement, chances are they're seeing some value here. They've got some interest, but there's something missing. So if I look at the people that I'm serving and how they're interacting against my funnel, and again, that funnel is critical here because that's that's really how you connect it back to revenue, then I can say, if I better serve by increasing this one metric for this one user base – this is the impact it's going to have on my bottom line because when you have that funnel analysis i can literally say okay if i increase this by 0.5% that's going to mean x amount of dollars at the bottom of the of the funnel
0: so in all things funnel first
1: absolutely and honestly if you don't have a really clear view of your funnel everything else is going to i would say lead to bad decision making because you Richard, have to understand do you have
0: a clear view of your funnel right now it took many months you know
2: postlight is an agency i think you know An agency, if we sold iPhone cases, it would be pretty easy to see like shopping cart abandonment and full transaction happened or people are looking at different products but not putting them in the cart. Very, very clear success waypoints in the experience. And for us as an agency, it is way more murky because nobody's taking out their credit card, right? This is, I think, what's hard and I think you're touching on this, Reed, is that a lot of people don't view things as a funnel because they're like, well, I got to just elevate the brand, right? And they view it as right. this sort of broad stroke, which is, is, is meaningful, by the way, because for us, we're not going to get anybody to take out a checkbook the minute they visit postlight.com. What we're actually trying to do is get them, uh, we have a metric, I'll give you an example called the curious visitor. The curious visitor is someone that meets a set of criteria around reading a case study, if they just come in and spend more than three minutes and scroll to the bottom, right? A very particular behavior, that's success. And we actually have a dollar value on that. Like we, our goal is to make it not cost us too much to get somebody to do that, right? It's not a funnel that translates into revenue in a very clear, bright line connection, but it is our funnel. And I, you know, I think what's interesting about what you're saying is, is that most people just don't bother. They throw money at it. I think a lot of the wealth of Facebook and Google Because people just have budgets and they're like, "Well, the site's up, the colors are bright, let's go. And they just
0: throw gobs of money at it, right? You know what I always think about this? Most people stop at brand. They're like, all right, well, logo looks good. We got our marketing message. We're just going to go with it. And like where I always thought Postlight did well, I'm about to say I think we did something well that I was partially responsible for. So that's annoying. (laughs) That's okay, Paul. That's okay. Post I decided early days, because I'm like, oh God, you know, agency marketing is grisly. It is just sort of like real, just red meat, like, you know, let, let me take you out to drinks kind of stuff. And it's also we're tech and we're kind of we're product. We're not, but we we represent an industry that a lot of people are very confused about. They might be people who could work here who are confused about their careers. They might be people who have been told that they need to update or do something with their digital strategy. And even the people who are deep in the industry have a lot to learn at all times. I mean, that includes us. And so we decided always that like advocacy would be the core of the message. We would always advocate for potential employees, for careers, for the careers of the people who talk to us, for the client's success. Advice. What, give advice. Be generous. Give good advice. But even a little further than just advice and be generous, like, we will try to help you get to your next thing, just like we always will. And so if you keep coming down the funnel, and the funnel could be like you would come to an event at Postlight pre-pandemic and so on and so forth, we will always try to take that minute and listen to people and try to get them to their next thing. And that theme... Makes thinking in terms of the funnel, first, a little less cynical, a little less, how do I march them along? It's like, I'm helping them as we go. Mm -hmm. The other nice thing with an agency is like, no one buys services casually. Like, they need and want what we do before they get the checkbook out. You're never sort of like, oh, you need an 80-inch LG TV. You know, to someone who's like trying to trying to buy food that month, like it's not not that kind of business. But anyway, like when people are going to hear funnel, they're going to just hear like marketing, and like. And I actually think that you can be a lot more proactive and productive. And then back to that curious visitor, right? It's the person who is trying to move forward something in their career or something at their company and get it done.
2: I want to go back to when we started the podcast about what I said about, you know, that sort of sad moment, day three, I think what's interesting here, Reed, and I want you to speak to the product managers that listen to this podcast, all 500 million of them, (laughs) product management doesn't end when you launch. A lot of PMs view that as the culmination, which frankly, it's a grind, and you do want to take a breath and celebrate and get out some champagne, but there is real work around how that product is received by the world and tweaking and touching it. So if you could talk about that a little bit and speak in the context of advice to product managers out there who are so oriented around the launch, they just want to get it out and they want it to not break. Like that's their That's yeah. their line.
1: I mean, I, I think, you know, as a product manager, that's, I, I, I get that. The way I think about it is <laughs> everything up to launch is building a hypothesis you're doing user testing, you're asking these questions. And of course, when you build a product, user user strategy and user data should already be part of it. But everything up until you hit that big red button, I wish we had a big red button, everything up until you hit that button is very much a very educated guess. And it is purely a hypothesis that if I build this the product in this way, it's going to have X effect. And if you are not then seeing what happens and continuing to improve that product and continuing to to tweak and refine that product based on how your users are interacting with it it's not only a failure i think but but a real missed opportunity so many of the most kind of interesting pivots I've seen in products I've worked on have been around users latching on to a feature that nobody expected they would really gravitate towards, and then shifting the entire product to focus on that because that had the best engagement. That's where users were finding the best value. And without analytics, without looking at how users are actually behaving, that can too easily be just based on having user conversations, which is is invaluable, but it also can be very misleading. Because, you know, and I, I'm i very guilty of this, as a human, it's so easy to anchor to the things that we expect, to have expectations and then hear those expectations reflected in the conversations we have. Even if we talk to 100 users, even if we talk to 1,000 users, if we're just having a qualitative conversation, we're going to hear the things that we want to hear. And there's ways around that, but ultimately, it's impossible not to bring the self into that. And that, of course, is true with everything that we perceive, but... When you're looking at data, and and especially, you know, when I think about going into an analytics setup, I'm not going in just seeing what jumps out of the numbers at me, although sometimes I do that because it's fun, I'm going in with a hypothesis that I want to test. My hypothesis is this change had this effect or users are interacting in this way. Mm-hmm. And when you have that clear question, it's very easy to find an answer so long as your data is, is valid. And then that can flow right back into the product decisions you're making because the whole thing is, is very, very, very cyclical.
0: Read. where do analytics people like hang out if somebody's interested in this and doesn't just want to install GA, but wants to kind of get an understanding of this world?
1: Let me start by saying that I am very good at building things on the internet and Not the best at using it myself. I don't hang out on any social platforms, really. It's not who I am. So I will say that the friends of mine and the people I learned from who are are deep, deep, deep into this world, I know Reddit is a place that a lot of conversations happen. There's some really great Facebook groups around this that I know, uh, at least back in the day when Facebook groups were a, a big, big thing, were the place to be. There's Lots of talks on this, lots of just any site that is really group focused. I've stumbled into some really fascinating discussions, but, uh, I'm the wrong person to ask about hanging out online.
2: Totally fair. Rich, you were going to ask a question. Well, no, I wanted to, I want to go back to what Reed was saying. Let me say something overly dramatic. When a product leader launches a product, that product really is a representation of their decisions and their opinion and their strong-minded belief of how the world works, and it is really, really painful to find out you got 60 to 65% of it wrong, right? It is the world, and that bias is natural and normal because you made a host of bets until you got to that point, right? And great product really comes out of a place of humility And that you're willing to say, oh, God, you know, how could people not get this incredible feature that I invested so much energy in and convinced the powers that be that it was worth the budget and nobody's using it, right? And that's because people are going to do what they're going to do, right? And I think really great product leaders and product managers want that data, that real world data real bad so they can tweak and adjust that was a setup for a question, believe it or not. I see where it's breaking. The analytics has revealed something to me and I see the gap. Let's go back to the product now and make those fixes and make, the, let's call them fixes. Usually you'll say we need to make some changes because for a lot of people who are who are responsible for this stuff, they have to go get money for this. The business world still has not wrapped their heads around the fact that software lives beyond launch they still apply the architecture analogy. When the construction's done, it's done. You know, give your perspective on coming back around now that you know what's not working.
1: Yeah. So there's there's really, there's selling this to stakeholders, there's coming up with solutions, and then there's testing those solutions in, in ways that are efficient. So first of all, to very quickly answer how you sell this to stakeholders, and perhaps that's perhaps that's the longest one, but I'm going to do it pretty quickly. I'm a broken record here, but if you have a map of your entire funnel and that lives in an Excel spreadsheet, you can say, hey, look at this. Right now, this number is 20%. Look at this. If I make this 30%, wow, that just added $12 million to our bottom line. Isn't that cool? Wouldn't you like me to do that?
2: Right. Let's avoid failure.
1: Right. Well, let's avoid failure, but also being able to say, this is what I think a reasonable gain is based on the market data.
2: There's an outcome and
1: here's what that actually looks like. Cause if you say, hey, I wanna, I wanna rebuild this page, your stakeholders are gonna say so. But if you say, hey, I have plausible data to suggest that If I improve this page in a way that increases our conversion rate by this amount, which is really reasonable based on what we're seeing elsewhere, that's going to have X amount of dollars on the bottom line impact. That's a much easier sell, especially if at the beginning you've agreed on what your goals are. The other thing about that, that funnel analysis to answer the other part of the question is once you have that, it's no longer, hey, we wanna we wanna make more money. Hey, we want this site to work better. We know, okay. The biggest place for improvement is getting people to enter their email information. We know Mm -hmm. that that is the single place where we have the largest room for improvement. And once you get it down to that thing, it's actually pretty easy to figure out ways to solve it because, you know what, basically nothing that we do on the internet when we build products is new. There are a million solutions for every problem. And all you have to do is say, okay, here's the problem. My hypothesis is if I use a data enrichment tool to simplify form submissions, that's going to have approximately this impact. And then you just test it. And the question is, especially when you're dealing with tight budgets, what is the minimum viable product for testing this hypothesis? Not for the final solution, but for what's the cheapest way I can make a Delta here and show that this actually has the impact that I think it will have? Because you still might be wrong. You may find out that actually you're not gonna get any more people to do that step and actually you'd be better off putting resources elsewhere. And having that data, having that real-time analytics allows you to, on a day-to-day basis, Tweak. say yeah. and really test. And, and we've got so many amazing A-B testing tools out there for all sorts of products. It's very easy to make that type of decision. Although quick caveat that I need to say to what I just said, because people could take it the wrong way, it's critical to not be testing on a day-to-day basis because everything, almost every business is going to be seasonal, is going to have weekly flows. And it, mm-hmm. the amount of times I've seen people anchor on data points that are not statistically significant and change their entire business, it stresses me out.
0: So, Rich, while you were asking your previous question, I muted and went online on the internet. I looked on Reddit to see what the analytics community is like. And now, so it's quiz time. How many people belong to the r slash analytics group on Reddit? I'll start with Reed. What's your guess?
1: This is why I like data. I am terrible at guessing these types of things. I'm going to guess 12.5, no, 8.5 million.
0: Okay, a little high. Uh, Rich, what about you? (laughs) (laughs) 25,000. Okay, you're both extremely wrong, which is why I asked this question. It's 115,000. It's all the stuff you'd expect. It's like, my boss told me we have to replace Chartio for our (laughs) dashboards. It's advice. Interesting job in that a lot of people on Reddit are saying, hey, there's also Google Analytics has 10,000 members. Like, you know, the data science group has 660,000. So you're both of you are right when you add it all up, all the analytics people. But I'm, I'm still wrong. Well, yes, you're both wrong. The number one thing seems to be people who are trying to make a career transition towards analytics. That seems to be the big, and I see you nodding, Reed. Yeah. This was great. Uh, Reed, you mentioned Google Analytics.
2: Let's close it with a question. Top two or three tools that you think are great to look into for anybody who wants to get better insights and better analytics around the platforms they're launching.
1: All right, there's two answers to this. Uh, top three analytics platforms to be competent in are Google Analytics, Firebase, and segment, I'd say. But I'd also add to that the number one tool to gain proficiency in if you want to learn this and you want to know how to do it is Google Tag Manager. Google Tag Manager is the way you implement almost anything in in a significantly less code intensive way. It is how you can run a lot of different types of, of testing tools. It is a deeply useful tool for event tracking and really Understanding implementation, which is the place that most analytics setups fall short. It's mm-hmm. the most undervalued tool in the analytics wheelhouse, as far as I'm concerned. And it's really the way to wow people.
0: Let's summarize a little bit. First of all, let's say you're at that hypothetical company dealing with a bunch of products. You've been told to get better about analytics in some way or the other. There are some tools to use. But first thing first, absolutely define your funnel in a good, clear way. Make sure that people understand where they are in the funnel before they instrument everything and start to track the analytics. And then move on to your tool, set it up, and get into Google Tag Manager. I'm gonna go do it. I need to go learn some analytics. If people wanna get in touch with, with Reed, Reed, how do people get in touch with you?
1: That's a great question. As I said, I'm terrible at internet things, but uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm Reed Whitmont. I'm sure my name will be in the podcast description. I'm also you can reach out to Postlight at the generic email address, or I'm Reed at Postlight.com. And this is this is really, really just the tip of the iceberg. This is this is the simplest stuff, and there is there is a world of pure imagination once you dive in. It's so much fun. <laughs> Come
0: with me. All right, great well you know you referred to the general postlight email address dot postlight.com everybody go articulate your funnel thank you reed thank you book. everybody have a great week let's get back to work